I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Bernico. And I'm your other co-host, Dean Detloff. Dean, I got great news for you. I'm ready for some great news. Uh, first, Damon Garcia, he's on the podcast today. He's going to tell us about his new book, The God Who Rides. That is great news. You seem really excited. Do you want to take another take at that? <laughs> yeah, Do you want to try okay. it to sound more excited? Yeah, tell me again. Tell me again. <clears throat> today on the podcast, we have Damon Garcia, the author of The God Who Riots. Are you freaking kidding me, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's all true. We got him on the podcast today. He had a big rider. He wanted only green M&Ms in the green room. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways, he's on the podcast. It's great. Everyone's going to love it. Um, you're going to love this new book. You're going to love hearing about it. And you're going to love it so much. You're going to want to go buy this book. You're going to want to buy the book. You're going to want to go watch all Damon's YouTube videos. You're going to want to find him on TikTok. You're going to watch his Twitch streams. You know, this is the thing I always feel whenever we talk to Damon is it's like, wow, I am not putting myself out there, huh? <laughs> this this guy's got to figure it out. And you know what the best thing is? Because Damon's doing it, I also feel like I don't have to. And that's probably my favorite thing about it. Damon has got it all covered. Uh, no notes, don't need to do anything extra. And I appreciate the service he does provide uh, for all of us. It's only been since this year that I've felt sort of comfortable taking a selfie of myself. <laughs> I can't imagine being on YouTube. <laughs> I know. Okay, here's some great behind the podcast uh, stuff. So recently, Matt and I were on another podcast, and uh, I don't know, you'll find out about it in October or something. But we uh, we were on a Zoom call to do it, which we don't usually do. When we usually record, we basically do it like a phone call because Matt and I are two Midwestern white heterosexual men who can't look each other in the eye. So we talk like it's a phone call over Skype. Um, and so we were on the Zoom and we we're looking at each other and uh, this other co-host. And I, I got to say, it was great. I was like, this is uh, this is how you have a real conversation with someone. So we did do it today. It's so easy. It's so much easier to have a conversation. Where you can see their face. I never would have guessed. <laughs> wow. Nonverbal cues. How important. Um, so, uh, yeah, we did it with Damon. We tried it out. I think we're going to do it. But Matt and I are still looking at each other. And it is pretty I mean, it's great. I love him. Matt's a great guy. But uh, I sometimes I'm just like, maybe I should look somewhere else in my room <laughs> yeah well all that to say we're not on tiktok we <laughs> there it is we've laid we've laid out all of the weirdest possible content we can at the top of this episode damon <laughs> damon i hope you sell a million books i'm so sorry for this 
Um, before we get to the Damon content, though, uh, if you like this content that you're hearing now, I, I got to believe that you do. Um, <laughs> if you've made it this far. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. If you support us at $2 or more, you can get an invite to our very exclusive uh, Discord channel where we talk about extremely niche Marxist things, uh, the, the Marxist secrets, the deep knowledge of Marxism. We share pictures of our dogs and our cats and our recipes and lots of memes. And it's great. It's a great community to be a part of. Um, you should join it and you can, you too can be a part of it. It's great. It is great. Occasionally we do some reading groups there. Those have been really fun. Uh, the last one we did was on the future's degrowth, which we talked about on the podcast. So it's also just a good way to keep the conversation going. And uh, you can even get some cool stickers if you play your cards right through that Discord. Well, I guess through the Patreon. Anyway, you'll find out yeah, when you go to right. patreon.com slash the Magnificast. All right. Now we're going to go to Damon now. <laughs> Thank God. Thanks for coming on the show, Damon. You've been on the show before, but for people who don't know who you are, have never seen one of your great YouTube videos, and don't know that you had a very cool book come out recently, could you introduce yourself? Tell us what's going on. Uh, why are we talking to you on this extremely cool podcast uh, about Christianity and the left? Uh, who are you, Damon? What's up? Yeah, I'm Damon, and I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I'm a big fan of Matt, and a big fan of Dean, first and foremost. Wow. <laughs> Both. But which one's your favorite, Damon? You have to choose. No, y'all y'all are doing your own work. <laughs> and I love it. And so, yeah, that's who I am first and foremost. And then I also uh, make videos on YouTube and more recently Instagram and TikTok uh, about the intersection between faith and liberation. And I've been talking about that for yeah, a few years on there. And I recently came out with a book called The God Who Riots, Taking Back the Radical Jesus on Broadleaf Books. And so we're here to talk about it. And I'm excited to be here. That's great. We're glad to have you here. We're so excited. So suppose you're in a building yeah. that was very tall and you got into the elevator and the person next to you said, what's your book about? Apropos of nothing. Context. Uh, you, you look like a guy who wrote a book. And then they pressed they pressed the button for the top floor for the 100th uh, floor. How would you explain your book to that person? I've yeah, I've gotten asked that question a lot. Especially cuz uh I'm I'm fortunate that a lot of my friends here are uh really excited about the book, but they're like not into theology and politics like at all. They're just really happy for me. And so we'll be like hanging out at a bar and then they'll tell this random person that they met, hey, this is my friend Damon. He just wrote a book. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, like we don't need to talk about this right now. Let's just hang out. And so then they'll ask, yeah. oh, what's it about? And then every time I say it's about religion and politics and then they usually go, oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, and then <laughs> we go from there. And so sometimes they'll ask, well, tell me more. And then I'll say something like. Uh, uh, well, yeah, trying to give a more like healthier version of uh, Christianity and talking about how Jesus was more radical than what a lot of conservative Christians make it seem like. And so and it's been it's actually been really interesting talking with people who aren't into theology at all about this, because I've seen again, I had I had this I knew when I was writing the book that a lot of the people who were watching my videos had this experience of growing up in a conservative Christian environment, and then they 
left and were maybe involved in some sort of political advocacy thing or at least supporting it and they felt like Jesus was still sort of somewhat part of it like they felt like their that Jesus was definitely more radical than what people said and then when I started talking to different people who are into theology I, I would see that again and again people were who yeah don't ever talk about Christian stuff or think about it and they're like oh yeah that that's what I think and that that's I I totally think that Jesus was more radical like I need to read this book and so that's been interesting because one of the things I was afraid of too when I was writing the book that it's too for too niche of an audience people who are into Christian stuff and leftist stuff but uh I'm I'm happy that that I think I think I was I, I did a good enough job at getting people who aren't into all this stuff uh to um be able to get into it I especially really tried my hardest to make it so that specifically people who aren't like nerds about this stuff can get it and I never want to like assume people know what I'm talking about or the references I'm making even like the bible passages I'm referencing uh I hate that that when people just assume that and so it's uh so yeah that's the book but it's called the god who riots because that it's a reference to Jesus and the temple flipping tables and pouring out coins, which is also interesting because some of my friends, when I've told them that said, oh yeah, I think I heard that. Other friends who even grew up in church said, I've never heard that story. Jesus did what? <laughs> what do you mean Jesus did? And then it was like, uh, cool that I got to tell this story for the first time. And uh, But when I was writing it, I was thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give people a different way of framing the story. But a lot of people didn't even know it at all. And so it's like, yeah, Jesus goes to the temple and it's his last week before he is killed. He's in Jerusalem during Passover week, the day after another demonstration he did on this donkey with people waving palm leaves. And he does, and he goes in to that temple and says, you've turned this place into a den of robbers. And something that really inspired me as I started thinking about the ideas that came, that became this book was that was reading that a den of robbers is not where people are robbed, but it's where robbers go and hide to avoid the consequences of their actions. And so Jesus is accusing the religious authorities of his day of using the temple and using their religion to hide and avoid injustices going on all around us. And I think that's more relevant than ever because we all know people who say they follow Jesus, who use their religion in the same way. And it's uh, And so I think Jesus can be really inspiring in that way for those of us who feel like this, should, this faith should be better. It should obviously lead us to radical action and realizing like, oh, yeah, Jesus. And, and then, oh, yeah. And at the same time, being so frustrated with the ways that it's used to preserve and legitimize power. And Jesus... I think very much saw it the very same way, especially as a Jewish teacher who was tapping into this prophetic stream throughout Jewish history. Like the Den of Robbers line is one that he got from Jeremiah, who also did a demonstration in the temple and said, you've turned this place to a den of robbers. And he was more clear about the context of that line in Jeremiah. And then they tried to kill him too, but he got away and later died. But he... uh so, so Jesus is looking at his own faith and the symbols of his own faith and seeing the various ways that had been compromised by power, especially when you think of like 
what the temple actually was and differentiate it between the temple as a Jewish symbol of faith and the actual temple system that had been compromised by the Roman Empire. And pe people don't even realize, like, they're, they're making sacrifices to Caesar as well in the temple. And so, it's like, imagine seeing all that. And then, so Jesus specifically does his demonstration in the outer court of Gentiles where there was buying and selling going on and specifically did these actions to stop the buying and selling. He wasn't just he wasn't just having a, a spontaneous temper tantrum and he wasn't just flipping whatever was in his way. He was specifically putting a stop to the buying and selling so that he could uh, have this temporary shutdown to say this message in the place where that compromise was most clear to everyone in that part of the temple. And so I, yeah, I wrote, I wrote that book, but also I talk a lot about that phenomenon throughout Christian history, where we see Christianity used to preserve and legitimize power and colonization, prison industrial complex, and then also talk about how there's always at the same time been this stream throughout Christian history of those who use their faith to empower themselves toward liberation, even if that meant resisting against Christian institutions. And so, yeah, so I, I, was, I was really excited to write this whole book. Came out August 23rd. And th yeah, thank you for having me on. I love y'all. That's a great uh, a great elevator ride. I'm glad that we stepped into the same <laughs> elevator together. Oh yeah, I forgot we were in an elevator. Oh, it's, it's a big <laughs> building. Um, it, and if you forget you're in the elevator, that's the best kind of elevator ride. So uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's an exciting book. Matt and I both had a chance to read it when it was uh, before. It was pre-release uh, and a very cool exclusive uh, copy. And it was a lot of fun. Um, really neat to see more of that literature coming out at in presses like Broadleaf too, right? Like not academic presses per se, but like more accessible kind of stuff and and just getting it out there in a in a readable way. I was I was gonna say that uh, for those that don't know Broadleaf, you may have some some of the listeners may have heard of Fortress Press at least, which has um, been around for a while. And Fortress Press was putting out academic stuff and popular stuff, and then a couple years ago they split to where now Fortress just does the academic stuff and their sister publication Broadleaf just does the popular stuff. And, uh, and it's all under 1517 media, but um, Broadleaf and Fortress itself isn't attached to a particular denomination, but yeah, it's, it was, it was really cool to get with them. And also I forgot, I forgot to say Matt Bernico also put an endorsement for my book in there. And so if you get the book or even just look at it on the Amazon preview, just go look at the beginning. You'll see Matt Bernico's endorsement in the very beginning, which I'm really happy I got to put in there. That's right. Can't take it back. <laughs> it's in print forever. Uh, well, it's possible that people Google your name yeah. and then search books. Oh, nice. My book will come out. <laughs> you got that good SEO, the Matt Bernico bump. Yeah, steal that valor. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, one thing that I think is so neat about your work in general, Damon, and this book is an expression about that, is that uh, you're doing so much work to, I guess, bring the content to the masses, right? You're out there on YouTube, you're out there on TikTok, um, platforms that me, a 32-year-old person, uh, have suddenly found myself aging out of very rapidly. Uh, <laughs> the closest I can get is this audio medium. Um, tell us maybe a little bit about that as well. Like, you know, you're kind of translating these radical ideas or a kind of a radical version of Jesus into these new ways that people are engaging with with content, popular education, that sort of thing. 
Um, the last time we talked to you, you were on YouTube. Uh, I don't think you'd fully embraced the TikTok yet. Uh, so how how's that going? Like, what's the response in those kinds of media when you're bringing up these kinds of ideas that at a bar someone might be like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, I think something I always think back to was about 10 years ago when I, or a little over 10 years ago when I started thinking differently about the some of the Christian ideas that were handed to me growing up and finding out that there was actually more than just Pentecostals, Baptists, and Catholics. Growing up, that's what it was. We're Pentecostals. What are Baptists? Oh, they're like us, but just a little bit more strict. What are Catholics? Like us, but even more strict. That's, and that was it. That was the entirety of my knowledge of uh, different kinds of Christianity. And then I started to uh, learn and think differently about my faith and read the Bible differently and read all kinds of books from other perspectives of um, mainline Protestant progressive scholars, but then also like old Catholic saints and mystics. And I just felt like it was opening me up to a world that I didn't get to experience when I was younger. And it was, uh, and I realized like, oh yeah, I grew up in a very small corner of Christianity, especially global historic Christianity. And I remember finding also podcasts at the time that were really helpful. And uh, at the time, there's a lot of blogs that were helpful. And I think of how there's a lot of people who are in similar shifts right now for various reasons. Maybe it's because the, the the Trump stuff got a lot of people to question and try to shift out of that environment. Or um, Black Lives Matter protests was a big thing. COVID stuff was a big thing that is it's like you have these moments where a bunch of people like just look around and say, wait, why am I a part of this community that is doing all this bad in the world? And so I'm thinking of those people and wanting to give them resources to um, get on this journey of exploration. And, and and I also feel really happy to put it in book form because I remember books were like so helpful to me at the time. And um listening to authors on podcasts and getting those books. And so, so then when it comes to videos, that's what I'm thinking too, where like a lot of the stuff I say in the book has also been said before by other people and other books, but not really on YouTube and not really on Twitch, not really on TikTok. And so I felt like I want to be able to communicate these ideas to people on the platforms that they're on, especially people who are, like have way way too much going on in their life and overwhelming them to pick up a book that gets into a lot of more nerdy academic stuff and so that's that's basically what it's been and, and then especially the shorter videos at first I, I felt weird about that like the tiktok videos like it's really hard for me to keep something to a minute and then uh i ended up learning like oh let me just say one thing and that will be the video because I always had this habit of like, I need to have this like big presentation of ideas and everything I do. But it's like, let me just say one message. And that helped. Um, but it's been, it's been really cool. Like that growing the YouTube channel is how Broadly found me. And we talked about doing a book deal. And so that was, um, it's been really great. And then I also want to say, what's been interesting too, about being on these different platforms and me really trying to find a more creative way to communicate this stuff that we're all talking about. Uh, I remember one of the greatest compliments I ever received. Actually, let's have fun. The greatest compliment my whole life was from Dean 
Dean Detloff. <laughs> and I don't even think he, I, I'm not, no, I'm not even sure if he meant this as a compliment, but I took it as one anyway. So a year and a half ago, we all went on Valley Labor Reports 50 some hour stream to raise strike funds for mine workers. And there was a super, literally in the middle of the night, uh, sec- there was a segment where Dean and Matt were on talking to the host. And then after that, I was going to go on. And so I was sitting there watching the stream while, while y'all were talking. And then the host said that I was going to come on. And they're like, oh, cool. And Matt said something. The host said something about me. And then Dean was like, oh, yeah, he's an interesting theological character. <laughs> and I, I just like burst out laughing when I heard that. <laughs> because it was like partly because it sounded kind of funny. But then also... For some reason, I felt like so seen in that moment of like, yes, like that was like that was the greatest compliment specifically of like the work I do. For some reason, it felt more to me than if someone said like, oh, you you wrote really good or you communicated that really good or you know a lot about whatever. It was like, I'm I think I'm trying to be like an interesting theological character um, it's specifically because um the overwhelming hegemony of conservative colonial Christian ideas, people are looking for something else. And so it's like, I'm trying to frame this stuff in an interesting way so people can pay attention and start exploring in this stuff. And so, yeah, I appreciate it, Dean. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you meant it as compliment, but I still appreciate for it. For sure. Definitely compliment. I meant it then I'd say it again. I mean it now. So still to this day, <laughs> you can put that on the back of your next book, Damon, uh, an interesting yeah. theological character for sure. Um, this has been great to hear about the book. I'm loving the the behind the music vibes we've got going here. Um, <laughs> but let's let's turn just a little bit. Let's talk about the content of this book <laughs> in case yeah. in case people are interested. Um, okay, so the subtitle of your book. Okay, the the book is called The God Who Riots. We love it. It's great, great title. Ten out of ten. Uh, the subtitle of your book, however, is Taking Back the Radical Jesus. Um, and that's cool too. An interesting loaded phrase. So what does that mean for you? Yeah. Like, who are you taking Jesus back from? Who took him in the first place? <laughs> what are we going to do with him now? As you're saying that, I'm just imagining a little baby Jesus being passed around. Um, but I when, I, when I was talking to the publisher about what to call the book, uh, they asked me for some a list of title ideas. And I gave them like a bunch of shitty ones looking back. And then they came back. Why don't we just call it The God Who Riots, which was the name of a video I made. And I, was, I, I wasn't even thinking of maybe calling it that. I was like, uh yeah let's write that book and then they they asked me like sent us some subtitle ideas and yeah those were also shitty and then they came back and said let's do taking back the radical jesus what do you think about that and the taking back part i think was inspired by some of my title ideas i think had the word reclaiming in it and so it felt like yeah let's use that idea but let's use a more exciting phrase than reclaiming and say taking back i was like okay cool i like that but uh, and I th- and w- why I like it is because, like I said, a, a big part of the book is talking about this stream of colonized and marginalized Christians reshaping the faith, reinterpreting the faith, because throughout history, we see again and again, as the world goes through major change. Christian theology and practice goes through major change and. It's not because they're like trying to be trendy or relevant or whatever. It's because during massive changes like that, um, shifts of power or the abolition of some institutions, the beginning of others, 
people are able to pause and realize, okay, some of these theological concepts and ideas we're working with were designed specifically to preserve and justify the dying institutions we're seeing right now. So let's 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 look back here throughout these ideas. And some of these ideas we're just gonna have to let go. So like for example, the the, the Protestant principle as a uh, or Protestant work ethic, I mean, that uh Max Weber talks about where this idea of like the, the harder you work, that is a sign. And and if you succeed, then that is a sign that you're one of God's chosen. And when we could see um the the way that that has led to and justified capitalism, we can look at that with like, oh, yeah, we should probably get rid of that one and realize like, oh, yeah, that idea is specifically designed to uh, legitimize capitalism. But then some ideas, however, we look back and realize, actually, we just need to find w the ways that this was being talked about, like at the root of this whole thing. And, and I think the concept that I really wanted to go back to the root and reinterpret throughout the book was the concept of following Jesus. Like, what does that actually look like? What does your life look like? What does your interactions look like? What do your goals look like? And, and part of that was going back to, okay, let's see what Jesus said. Let's see the stuff he said about the kingdom of God. And when I'm talking about, and then I, so I talk, I'll talk a lot about how the work of abolition, the prison industrial complex and how, that is actualizing the radical vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about, where the first are last and the last are first, where these power dynamics are flipped and these economic systems are absolutely transformed and our social hierarchies are flipped. And so it's uh and, and so throughout history, as people started to think through those those ideas, look at the root, talk about ways we can talk about them for a new era. They're always accused of, oh, you're just twisting it to like match your personal thing or your to match your politics. But it's like, no, we're, we're we just feel like this these concepts were a lot more radical to begin with, and they got twisted to be this modern capitalistic colonialist version of Christian theology. And so, so throughout the book, I, I'm also talking about different. Uh, theologians and Christians who've inspired me. Like a, a big one I think of is Nat Turner, who it's it's like he was on what was supposed to be the good liberal slave plantation where they taught him how to read. They didn't beat him as much. They was able to read the Bible. And as he read the Bible, he and and the conclusions he came to that God is a God who frees the slaves it wasn't him just twisting it to match his politics. It was him realizing like, oh, y'all have missed who this God is. And this, this is a God who's actually on our side. And that leads him to lead this revolt, organize and lead this revolt. As, and that was a huge inspiration for other revolts before and after that. And which led to more conflict, which led to a civil war where we needed to change the institutions. But after the abolition of chattel slavery, that's when more and more Christians started to have space to think of a God who is against slavery. Before that, most Christians, specifically most white Christians, were pro-slavery. And during that abolition era, as, as have many people throughout different historical shifts, argued that 
you're going against what God has set up. You're going against God. And then what we always see happen in these historical shifts is that after the change is made, the lines get switched to, this was all part of God's plan. Mm -hmm. Isn't this great? And we see that also, I think, uh, more recently with the civil rights era, it like uh, Tim LaHaye, the way he talked to, Tim LaHaye is just one guy, but I think it's a funny example. The way he talked about Martin Luther King Jr. when he was alive was just like, oh yeah, this is the worst guy who was leading all this violence. And then a couple decades later, he was like, he was a hero. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, it's a, uh, yeah. When I talk about taking back the radical Jesus, I am talking about getting back to the root of things so that we can change this modern, twisted, capitalistic, white supremacist Jesus that is popular today. I think that's so cool. Uh, you took him back successfully. You did it. You took Jesus back as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm glad he's back on our side. Fantastic. Good to have him around. Um, I guess the question uh, that we talk about a lot in this podcast, too, and maybe you, you have a, an idea about it, is, uh, you know, what do we do with Christianity on the other side of that? Uh, like you're saying, there's this kind of confrontation or contradiction between uh, that kind of radical opening that Jesus has and then all the oppressive structures that Christians make in history and are, and are still making and, and that we're still living with, uh, including new creepy ones that <laughs> Christians keep inventing somehow. Uh, so what do we do with Christianity on the other side of all this? It should challenge us to think critically. Oh, I, I wish I remember. Somebody posted this quote from Umberto Eco where he talked about in, how an image can be used to hypnotize people, but it could also be used to inspire critical thinking. And I immediately thought like, oh yeah, that's, that's how religion is, where we were so used to so many Christian symbols just being used to hypnotize and keep people in line and to not critically think. But then at the same time, these symbols at this at different times and different contexts have been used for the opposite to cause us to think critically and to challenge these systems. Like, for example, if we really believe that in us, the spiritual truth that we are all connected, that we're all equal in God's eyes, then we should that should cause us to look around our unequal society and inspire us to actualize that spiritual truth in our material reality. And I love, uh, really love uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his speech in Beyond Vietnam, and he's, he talks about this revolution of values that we need. And he says, yeah, we all know we, we should be the good Samaritan and help people who are beaten on the side of the road, but that should only be an initial act. And it should also drive us to transform the system so that there aren't so many people beaten on life's roadside. And that's a big shift that I want people to make on the other side is realize, oh yeah, of course, like we're Christians, so we love people, try to help people, but then realize like, oh, if, if you're really about this, then let's transform the systems that cause so many people to struggle. And so... That, yeah, I think a big thing is for me to just like widen this picture for people. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, well, your book does that for sure. Uh, I definitely should widen that out. I would be really interested to know, like, okay, you know, there's this huge swath of people, or at least I'm imagining there is. I don't have any data to back this up, I guess. I'm just going to say it. There's like, you know, this group of people in the United States who are our age-ish, you know, who who are deconstructing, right? They're ex-evangelicals. They're, pe- they're people who are coming out of, like, traumatic 
faith communities or whatever and kind of trying to figure this out. And I imagine I imagine that being like a pretty big like audience for this book. I don't know. Do you see this book as like maybe radicalizing those people who've been um, not radicalizing in a bad way, but like in a positive way um, <laughs> as like radicalizing those people who I think have like written religion off in one way or another? Do you think that is this book written primarily for Christians just to get back on the right path or something like who who mm. do you imagine this book is being like really impactful for? I, I mean, everyone that reads, it, I'm sure will think it's great. But I guess like in your in your mind, as you're kind of thinking through that, like what what was your strategy? Yeah, one of the first motivations when I was writing the book was thinking of progressive Christians, like liberal progressive Christians, maybe in mainline Protestant churches who are more progressive, who have done a lot of unlearning and processing and growth in their theology and in their politics. But I've seen in some of those environments, there's some boundaries that they don't really cross. Some of it is this individualism of like, there's like, a, of course, a progressive version of like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, where it's like, they say that that's bad, but they still keep this very individualistic uh, way of thinking. And then, of course, um, still supporting capitalism at the end of the day, supporting imperialism at the end of the day, even if they don't straight out say it, that is what their politics implies. And so, but in the same way that like people grow up in a conservative evangelical environment and aren't aware of any other way of thinking, I think the same goes for a lot of liberal progressive Christians who, who may be confused by the way, by my use of liberal, like, wait, aren't we all liberals? And it's like, well, there's a specific like historic meaning to that, which is at the end of the day um, about the support of capitalism, liberal, the free in there is I think more so about freeing the market free here the market free here the people and realizing that there are other ways of thinking about how we structure the economy and our social institutions and how yeah and there's another way to talk about god and the bible and jesus that connects those things and so i was hoping and one of just one of the motivations at, at the beginning was like i want people who have like yeah been through this like progressive christian stuff but help them realize that there's a few more steps to take that you can explore and so so it was partly for them and then i'm also thinking of people who already are more leftist and uh, christian and just want a way to articulate that connection better and then people who are have stepped away from Christianity, but still think maybe there's something there or a better way to talk about this. And I try my best to not assume that the reader is Christian or is like down to participate in Christianity. But at the very beginning, it's in the introduction, I have this part where I, it's kind of like a disclaimer where I say like, I, uh, I'm a Christian and I talk about Christianity in this book, not because I think Christianity is this like has a special unique access to God that no one else has but rather this is my faith and it is my responsibility to reclaim it in this way and it's the responsibility of people of other faiths to reclaim theirs in their own way and then we could come together and share those gifts and perspectives and so that I mean that's that's really it's like me me talking about this stuff is there's definitely like some Christian socialist vibes in there, 
But as you all know, when we say Christian socialists, we don't mean socialism with Christian characteristics. We just mean that we're Christians who also want socialism. And there's, uh, of course, different versions of that. But yeah, I wanted to make that clear and give people another way of looking at these topics. I think that's what is so valuable maybe about the book is that, uh, well, another maybe thing that we talk about a lot on the show is getting permission from other people to think something, right? That like sometimes you have an inkling or you read the Bible and you're like, this doesn't square with my conservative church or whatever it might be, or my liberal church for that matter. And what am I supposed to do with that feeling, right? And you go around and you ask everybody about it and they're like, oh, don't worry about that or that you kind of explain it away. But to have permission to say, no, actually follow that intuition and, and see where it, where it goes. I think that's such a great contribution of a book like The God Who Riots, right? It's it's maybe giving people a license to, to stay with that thought for a minute. Um, you know, you mentioned this. Uh, I really like that you, you have in mind this kind of liberal reader, right? Trying to push them maybe a little bit further uh, what do you think in terms of how that relates to the tradition of the left in general? You know, you used some examples in your book drawn from like Nicaragua or, you know, other kinds of sort of historical expressions of Christianity and Marxism, maybe buddying up a little bit. Uh, do you have any kind of are you maybe like trying to gesture these liberals down a political path or are you trying to be maybe just sort of a little more open and invitational? How do you kind of see those things going together? Yeah, a bit of both. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I mean, I love even just, it's even fun to say the sentence that like, oh yeah, there were Catholic priests working with Marxist guerrilla fighters. And it's like, I think just that's for some people in some context, that is such a mind blowing sentence. It sounds like, were you making stuff up? That sounds ridiculous. But yeah, there's a history of that. And we a big inspiration for, for all of us has been liberation theology where it's like in this conference in Colombia, their context was severe poverty and uh, capitalist exploitation. So that's the that's the context they're responding to when they're talking about different changes of Vatican II and all that. And so it's and and of course there's the context of different revolutions going on throughout Latin America. And so for so many of those Christians in Latin America, it was just an obvious conclusion of like, yeah, Marxism is a helpful tool for us to see these socioeconomic economic problems and the contradictions and how to solve them. And as Christians who believe that God has a preferential option for the poor, of course, we're participating in these revolutions and supporting revolutions. And so I think I think that was like a big part of it, too, is wanting to show like, yeah, this is this is where this faith can lead you. And this is where it has led others, like all the way to these revolutionary contexts that you may be surprised by. And and I love, yeah, I, I mentioned a little bit about Ernesto Cardinal and how he participated in the Nicaraguan revolution and uh, had a place in the government and had liter- literacy programs and um, art programs and how Pope John Paul II didn't like that, came to Nicaragua to, uh, and part of it is because canon law said you can't hold a, a position of office while being a priest, but also because he wasn't down with the communism. And so it in this such, such a, such an amazing photo and little video clip, you see them at the airport and 
uh, Ernesto Cardinal is looking up at him, kneeling, and the Pope is wagging his finger down at him, and he says, you must fix your affairs with the church. And I mentioned that story partly because how cool Cardinal is, but also to show like, oh yeah, in that moment, the Pope's vision of the church is so small and so narrow. And for others, it was like, of course, this leads us to revolution. And so, yeah, that was, that was a big part of it that I wanted to help people explore. And, and it's like, yeah, I know some readers would be like, oh yeah, I'm with them. And, and it's cool that there are other people in history who think like me. And then other people, it's, it's like an invitation, like, oh, there's people who are that radical. Let's get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, fun, weird trivia, too, about that uh, that photo. I'm pretty sure that, so it's true canon law prevents um, priests running for office, but I'm pretty sure that was John Paul II's law. So, like, he made it up to, I don't know, <laughs> get people in trouble. <laughs> I'm not sure. I didn't know that part. That might not be That's exactly true, but there is a long history of uh, priests serving in government, including here in Canada. That's why I knew about that. So, uh, anyway, probably worth <laughs> probably worth researching more before I just say it in public on a podcast. Yeah. But, anyway, it's in there, in my brain. Uh, personally, yeah. if I was uh, the Pope, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have made that law. That seems like a weird <laughs> law. <laughs> yeah, Damon, I think that's really interesting, um, the way that you're kind of conceptualizing that and like, you know, you're you're leading people toward a, a, a different horizon politically. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about revolution is one thing. I'm, I'm all about it. I love it. Um, it's a great it's a great thing. Right. Learning about like revolutionary movements is really cool and can be like energizing. And um, that's great. I guess, though, I wonder, like, we're not in a revolutionary situation in the United States or in Canada, and Mm -hmm. chances are probably not going to be for a long time. (laughs) I don't know. I'm no great predictor of revolutionary movements, but uh, I got to say, we're not doing Mm -hmm. it right now, and that's fine. Um, Well, it's not fine, but you get what I mean. It's not happening. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess, like, you know, retaking Jesus as this, like, agitator, this, like, disruptive character, like, what do you think that should lead people to do like now? Like what might following that kind of Jesus look like for us? Like when you're pushing like more liberal Christians in this direction or people who are just interested generally in in Christianity or have some kind of history with it, like what is it do you think that that like looks like given the, our, our political situation like currently people who are part of a church or churches that are uh, reading this. I think of, I've I've seen a lot of moments where a church starts to catch on to the needs of their community. And then the next thought is, so let's start a program on our own and have volunteers from our congregation and hope it works out. Completely unaware of the different organizations in their city already doing some of those programs. And sometimes those churches do more harm than good because of their inexperience. And so what I would like to see more of is churches starting less of their own programs and finding out what what are the organizations in their city? Who are those leaders? How can they make connections with them? How can they offer support and funding, even space if they have a building? And I think that that is um, that's something that a lot of churches can do. And I know there's a lot of churches who are in an environment or who who have a context within their congregation where they feel like they wish so. I've I've met a lot of pastors who wish so badly that the people in their congregation were more radical. And they're just like pulling uh, so hard. But when they can start to participate in different 
actions that local organizations are doing. I think that makes it easier to talk about more radical ideas. It's like, oh yeah, this is the stuff we're already doing. Instead of trying really hard to get everybody on the same mental page and then try to do something in the city. And so so that that's what I think, first of all, for churches. And then people who aren't a part of a church, I think it would be a great idea to find other people, friends or family who are also seeing the the ways that people in the community are in need of mutual aid and um and then of course uh or organizing rent rent strikes and all that and of course also getting in touch with local organizations but i think a big thing too is to not just uh go at it on your own not to get fired up from a lot of this stuff we're talking about and go at it all by yourself and get burnt out a big thing is having finding a community having a community where you can discuss these things and discuss uh, teaming up with orgs in the city and also a big thing too like, like spiritually i think it's important to have a community of people to talk about your evolving theological beliefs as well whether that's in a church or not, to at least have some sort of community. And it could be just a few friends that get together uh, for a drink every now and then, and you could talk about the the ways that you're working through your own spiritual journey and your own Christian faith or whatever faith. I think that's really important. And it's, and it's, it's always, it always gets harder and harder to realize how needed that is in our increasingly hyper-individualistic society. And so that's something I, yeah, I really hope people are inspired to do. Yeah, that's a cool note for churches. Churches should do that for sure. You know, there's like this, um, this old, old community organizing model that's like an Alinskyite, like community organizing model that always considers churches as like an untapped resource, right? That like, if you want to mobilize people, like churches are where you should look. But it is so frustrating because, I mean, just like you said, I mean, church communities, I think, um, have at least some church communities have become like very reluctant to do things um, with regards to like community action. I mean, that's not true across the board, but, but you know, it's like um, the pool of churches that would be willing to do that, I think has shrunk in the world. So I don't know um, a good call though, to get like involved in uh, whatever's happening in your city or town or, you know, maybe starting it if you have to, I suppose, but you know, chances are you probably don't. <laughs> chances are there's probably other people doing that work. Yeah. It's like a standard uh, Christian problem, right? You have to go out and save the whole world all by yourself. Yeah. Uh, if you don't do it, <laughs> yeah. who's going to? So, uh, yeah, it's good to push back against that, too, just for your own mental health. Um, yeah, absolutely. We uh, It's been a long time since we had actually any guests on the show at all. So we should have mentioned oh. that even at the top. Uh, it's been great to break it in a little bit. Uh, so it's good to have you here, Damon. Um, but one thing that we were starting to ask people who write books and then I guess haven't in months and months and months is uh what is maybe uh your favorite chapter that you wrote in the book like out of all the things you wrote what's the one where you're like i loved writing this one it turned out how i want it and i like what do you hope people maybe get out of that piece of it i have my book here i need to look at the table of contents (laughs) i'm really putting you on the spot here i think what makes especially makes this question hard is the way i went about uh writing it and then editing it well first of all I struggled at the beginning of writing because I had a lot of these insecurities that made me try to just put a bunch of other people's quotes 
in my first draft because I felt like I don't have enough worth saying on my own. I need other people's smarter people's words in here. And then it took me a while to realize, like, first off, that, that would be a terrible book to read. But then second off, uh, they, they asked me to write a book. So let me try to put uh, my trust myself a bit and try to make something. And so I, I just got to the point where like, OK, let me just write everything instead of editing while I'm writing. Let me just write it all out. And as I did that, it was like, okay, I had had what I wanted to be chapter one. Now I have a bunch I want to talk about in chapter two. And I kept writing and writing and writing. I had like six chapters of mine. And then chapter two ended up being like a book length. And then I realized like, oh, wait, this is the book. And then chapter one just became chapter one and two. And chapter two is... The, the basically the rest of the whole book i mean what was originally planned except for the chapter the obedient unrighteous son that was supposed to be the beginning of chapter three um but i, I like that what it ended up becoming and so it's like in my head a lot of these chapters are still connected <laughs> it's like one long thing so part of me wants to be like chapter two which is the whole book <laughs> then uh i but i think a big one for me was uh white christianity all the way down which is a spicy title for chapter three and it was really important to me in a book where I'm talking about taking back the radical Jesus and the radical liberative Christianity. It was really important to me to be honest about Christian violence throughout history. I don't ever want to be a guy that makes it seem like, oh, yeah, all these Christians have actually been radical. And those uh, Christian colonizers weren't real Christians. And it's uh, let's just focus on the cool progressive ones or whatever. It's like, let's be fully honest about historic Christian violence. And that's what I try to do in that chapter. I, like, I want to almost give like a water hose of uh, tragedies and awful twistings of scripture that happened through colonization. And then that sets me up for the next chapter, which is taking and reshaping Jesus, where I talk about finally the ways that colonized Christians have reshaped the faith. But it's like I wanted to be fully honest first before we talk about that, especially because I know there's also a lot of people who aren't willing to hear these alternative the theological ideas unless we're honest about the shitty stuff first. And so, yeah, I think that was probably a big one. And then all the other chapters are are close to that one, too. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, how how do you work that out in your book? That's a the. um how to be really honest about Christianity while also maintaining that it has some kind of like power, uh, you know, ho holding those two things together and in intention is something that we talk about a lot in this podcast. How does that work out for you in your book? I mean, just maybe you can give us like a, a sneak preview of like that content and what it, what it looks like. Big thing that helped me so much was uh, having a historical materialist perspective to where we can look at, okay, we can look at material conditions that cause people to develop these different theological ideas in order to preserve certain institutions. And then, of course, we can see the, those who are oppressed by those institutions develop different theological concepts as well in, in response to those conditions, as opposed to think feeling like, okay, yeah, th there's definitely a huge problem of white supremacy in Christianity. But we can look at the history of how that developed. I mean, I mean, even how the Christian colonizers even developed the concept of whiteness as a racial category. 
And when we could look, see those beginnings throughout history, we can also discover that, oh yeah, so white supremacy doesn't live in people's hearts. It lives in our institutions that we internalize and, uh, and rationalize. And that can help us envision their end when, when we are aware of those beginnings. And I think uh, some people get stuck when, when, they, when they look at the history of Christian violence and feel like, well, I guess this is what Christianity is without considering the conditions it was in response to. And so it's a, so that was really important for me to do that. And then even throughout the book, like keeping that perspective on a bunch of other topics was important for me. And of course, I kind of like go back and forth a bit with like a materialist perspective and like an idealist perspective. And I, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this too. Like, I feel like there's, we often see two types of Christian leftists. There's those who who are more idealists who are like, well, this is our faith and we believe this is the type of world Jesus would like us to actualize in the world. And then there's the Christian leftists who are, who are which we see a lot in um, Latin America, Christian leftists, where they're able to say, let's have materialist answers for materialist questions. And I think I'm more of that kind of Christian leftist. Like when it comes to the question of how do we structure the economy? Let's look to materialism for that answer. And what what are the contradictions? What are the ways we can solve those contradictions? And it's uh, let's settle that with materialism. But there are a lot more questions than the materialist questions. And like, what is all of this? What is consciousness? How are we all connected? Where are we coming from? Where are we going? And it's like, okay, that is when we can also talk about spirit and theology and Christian faith and symbols. And, um, and it's so, but, but I, I do a little bit of both throughout the book where it's like, hey, yeah, here's, here's the, the institutions that need to transform in order to open up space to think differently theologically. And if you, yeah, if you really believe this radical Jesus and the kingdom of God and everything he said about it, then this is how we should be, uh, living and embodying this message. And so that was, yeah, so that, that was really important for me. And I remember I'm, I'm good friends with some of the listeners may know the YouTuber Labor Kyle, and, and he's a writer too. Uh, but yeah, Twitter Labor Kyle. He was a he, he was a huge help when I was trying to come up with ideas for, for the book or, or trying to organize ideas for the book. And I, I talked to him a lot. And then after I got it organized and started, um, I didn't talk to him much. And then when I was in the editing process, I hit him up again and said, and freaking out as I was editing and reading my sentences. And I felt like, it was too idealist. And I was like, I was like, I ruined my whole book. And I don't know how to fix this. And then I messaged him frantically and said, I feel like uh, it's, it's too idealist in some places. And I gave him some of the examples of some of the sentences where I, I didn't like. And he, he was so simple. It was just like, he just said, yeah, I think you just needed to change the tense of some sentences. Like instead of saying it is this or, or they are this, say it can be. It's like let's let's bring it back to agency and potential, and it's like oh my god that that fixed the problems I had, and maybe there are places that are too are more idealist than I would like them to be, but for the ones I noticed at the time in twenty twenty one, it it fixed it. <laughs> That's great. You got your materials questions. You got your four twenty questions, and you oh, I, you know there's a place I just for remember, I just remembered I I messaged Dean about it a little bit too. I think after I already fixed it, and he was just asking how it was going, and I was just like. 
this is a big problem I had, but I think we mostly fixed it. That's right. That's and right. Being understood. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, again, fun, fun to see uh, the behind the music of this book for sure. Um, well, we're getting uh, toward the end here. Um, you're all over the internet, uh, and you've got yeah. this book out. What are some good ways that people can connect with you? Maybe learn a little bit more. Where can they get the book? Where can they find more of you on the internet, Damon? Yeah, you can check out DamonGarcia.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at WhoIsDamon. I'm on YouTube. Just search Damon Garcia. And my book is everywhere. You can just Google it. It'll pop up <laughs> wherever you want to buy books. Bookshop.org, you're able to get them from independent bookstores. But you could also call your local bookstore and just tell them to, to order it for you. If you Google Matt Bernico books, it will come up for sure. <laughs> That's how you can get it. Exactly. And if you uh, if you use yeah use code Matt Bernico and uh, I get ten percent of the sale. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I'm excited to uh, to see what comes. Uh, excited to keep on. I, I I had a hard time making a lot of videos when I was writing the book, but I'm happy to like keep on making videos now, and I'm looking forward to writing another book too, and um, keep going and talk to people about all this stuff. So if you if you're listening to this. Follow me on those social medias and message me. And say, hey, I heard you on the, the Magnificast. That would be awesome. It will That's be right. awesome. That's uh, right. Damon Garcia, find the book, The God Who Riots. Be on the lookout for Two God, Two Riot, the sequel coming soon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, go support Damon. Uh, really great stuff. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. It's great. You heard about it already, but I'm telling you about it again. Um, that's all I have to say about that. Our intro music is by Amaria Armstrong. Our outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. And you can buy Damon's book at Broadleaf Books or from your favorite local bookstore. So get out there and do that. All right. See you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would have